0: Friends, let's open up in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to read the last four verses of this chapter, beginning in verse 20. You guys remember that last week Paul prayed that the church would have her inner eyes opened so that she could see the immeasurable power that is ours in Christ, and then he continues that theme in verse 20 Heavenly Father, you fill your son Jesus. Your son Jesus fills the church. We're joined to him, united to him, hidden in him, raised in him to this new life in this age and in the age to come. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Julie and I read a personality profile book this past year that we found really enjoyable to us. It's the Enneagram personality profile. We read a book about that. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. Um, I guess Myers-Briggs is kind of falling out of style, out of vogue, and the Enneagram is in. And so some of you guys have heard it, used it, done your devotions with it. it. It's a great little book. We had a group of friends over the other night, and we were trying to convince everybody to read the book that we had read and to find their numbers so that we could talk about their number. And then after they left, I was reading an article in the Gospel Coalition, and it said that some Christians think the Enneagram was created and tweaked and blessed by the early church fathers, but in actuality, it was really made up by a Russian occultist while he was high. So now I'm confused on the official pastor's position on the Enneagram. I don't know if that's true or not, but regardless, it's still really fun to read and probably really fun to read if you're high. So, um, on that Enneagram, I'm an eight, I'm the challenger, of course, everybody knows that. And there's a bunch of little descriptions that come with that. But one of the descriptions, at least in the book we read, really stood out to my wife. She is not an eight, and she found this fascinating about eights, about the challenger. And that is this. Maybe you recognize this dynamic. Maybe this is true of you, whether you're an eight or not. And that is when an eight walks into a room, a party, a gathering, a dinner, a family, The eight, he or she, can subconsciously size up who in the room has power. What are the power dynamics in the room? Who has power and is guarding it, and who doesn't have power, and they're grasping for it? You can kind of tell that by the way people are standing and addressing each other, who's doing the talking, who's doing the listening, who's doing the groveling. You can kind of size up a room, and it's all about personality. Some people walk into a room and they can tell whose pants have pleats. Some people walk into a room and they can tell who has power. It's just different personalities looking at the exact same room. Well, our passage today is all about power dynamics. We said that last week Paul prayed from verse 19 that the church would have her inner eyes, the eyes of her heart, opens so that she would know that she has access to what he calls the immeasurable power that is ours in Christ Jesus. Well now he wants to explore that a little bit more and his hierarchy of power in the world is very surprising to us when we read and study this passage. Imagine an Enneagram 8 walks into our neighborhood and sizes up the power dynamics. Who has power in our neighborhoods? Who has authority? Who runs the place? Is it politicians? Is it corporations? Is it money? Is it sex? Is it popularity? Is it demonic forces? Who has power in our neighborhoods and in our world? And where does the church fit into that dynamic of power? Does she even have any power? Does she have a place at the table of power in our neighborhoods? Those are profound questions, and as we think about that, we may feel a certain way. We may naturally be inclined to think a certain way about the church and about our neighborhoods and about the power dynamics, but Ephesians has made it its business to take what we feel and to reveal what is true and real. It's going to turn our feelings and our presumptions on their head and it is going to show us the true power dynamics that exist in our neighborhood and in our world as we study this passage. The verses we just read, they give us this power pyramid. It is no surprise, verse 20, Jesus stands at the top of this pyramid of power. The Bible says that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sins, rose again, but that did not end his story of salvation for the church. We kind of think he did this and he founded a religion and then he lives on in the hearts and the minds of believers today as 20th century liberal theologians are fond of hearing themselves say, but the Bible says his resurrection closed one chapter and opened a new chapter because Jesus here and now stands over all the earth as preeminent. He's at the top of this pyramid. Well, number three at the bottom, verse 21 You've got powers and authorities. They're at the bottom. Jesus is at the top. They are at the bottom. And Paul could have said, look, everything else is at the bottom. But he doesn't. He doesn't want anybody to misunderstand or misinterpret. And so he lays this out for us in verse 21 saying, All rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come, He wants to be crystal clear. We are talking about everybody, every force, everything is subservient to, is below the person and the work of Jesus. Jesus at the top, everything else at the bottom. And that would be the way that things are, except verse 22, that Jesus elevates the church. Once Jesus put all things under his feet... He elevates the church, which he calls his body, and he places the church over all these other powers. So all of a sudden, you have this very simple but very profound pyramid in front of us. You've got Jesus at the top, and then he has elevated us, the church, below him. And then below that, you have every power, every authority, every name, both in this age and in the age to come. That's the pyramid according to Ephesians chapter 1. Now when you think about those three layers of power, it should, if you had enough time, make you think about Genesis chapter 1 and the power pyramid that you actually find in the first couple of chapters of our Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates the earth, he creates everything, the universe below him, and then he places Adam and Eve over all creation, under himself, over all creation, commands them to fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. In fact, Psalm 8, it celebrates this arrangement. It's amazed that God would bring humanity out of his creation and lift us over his creation. And we read in Psalm 8, 6, You have given him humanity, dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet. You've got this same pyramid in Genesis 1. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God, this power pyramid, this structure, was fractured. It wasn't broken. It wasn't done away with. It's still basically God and humanity and creation below us, but it's fractured because each member of this pyramid is now distanced and frustrated in its relationship with the other. Man with God above him and man with creation below him. Ephesians 1 is a repairing and restoring of Genesis chapter 1 with a twist. In Genesis, you have God, you have humanity, and you have creation. And then in Ephesians chapter 1, you have Jesus, and you have the new Adam. Romans calls Jesus the new Adam. Jesus calls the church his body. Jesus, the new Adam, and all creation below him. Although the emphasis now is not on the entire physical world only, but even also over the spiritual dynamics that exist in this world. You have a restoring and repairing of the original pyramid that came to us in Genesis chapter 1. Jesus, the church, and absolutely everything else that could possibly be named. That's one of those wild, beautiful thoughts that the Bible just kind of drops on us in four verses that is so overwhelming, it's hard to kind of put hands and feet on it. It's like, that's, that's awesome to hear, and I want to leave and keep this pyramid in my mind, but what could it possibly mean that I now, under Jesus' jurisdiction, have authority and power over the entire created universe? What does that mean for the church? And so I want to make this really practical, and I want to spend some time in application. You're probably realizing this, we've already said this, but one of the main objectives of Ephesians is to reorient us, the church, around the world and the church and the believer, not as we feel, but as we are in Christ. I hope you feel this tension in Ephesians. I hope as we walk through Ephesians, you feel a tension between how you feel week to week and how you think about the church and how you talk about the world and what Ephesians says is actually true about all of these things. We walked in here this morning, we couldn't help ourselves. We walked in here this morning feeling spiritually poor, under-resourced, malnourished. And Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says that we are rich, that we have gifts, that we have graces, that we hardly have made access to. We walked in here this morning very aware of our sin. And the more we think about it, and the more we dwell on it, and the more we succumb to the same things again and again and again, we come to this place feeling very gross and very disappointed with ourselves. And then we read in verse 4 that as far as God is concerned, we are holy and blameless And pristine before him. We came into this space feeling absolutely powerless. I mean lacking power to affect true, real, abiding change in ourselves. And in our families. And in our neighborhoods. And then God tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19. That we have the exact same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead. I hope you feel this tension in Ephesians between how you felt this week and what Ephesians says is true of you. When I was a kid, there was a very popular ad on television about drugs that maybe many of you remember this from the 90s. And basically, in these ads, they would do something like hold up this pristine egg and say this is your brain and then they would crack the egg and put it in the frying pan and they would say this is your brain on drugs, right? And it was, you know wildly convincing, and um, and then they stopped running those ads. I guess they gave up on millennials. Um, but if you saw those ads in the 90s, then you know what I'm talking about. Um, Ephesians offers the reverse of that ad in this chapter. Instead of going from the greater to the lesser, you kind of, in this commercial of Ephesians, peer over the frying pan at the cracked egg sizzling and burning in the pan And Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is telling us, this is what you naturally think about the church. This is your knee-jerk reaction. This is how you describe the church. This is how you think about the church. This is how you think about your role in the church. And then the camera pans to the pristine egg, and Ephesians says, but I tell you, this is true of the church. This is how the church feels, but this is what is real about the church. We may feel powerless, we may despair that the church can stop being hypocritical and start being helpful, but God says that he has lifted us as a body, as the church, local and global, above all demonic power and authority. And we know he wants to talk about power and authority because in the very next chapter, when he talks about our salvation, he says, you once walked according to the course of this world. You were once under the prince of the power of the air, but now Christ has saved you and he has lifted you as believers into the heavenly places. You, church, have power. I want us to think about that as we approach a brand new school year, as we approach the ministries that we stood and we said that we represented this year, as we think about our family and our goals for our family. I want us to consider what Paul is saying, not to us as individuals and not even to us as families, but as he addresses us in Ephesians chapter 1, what does this mean for us As the church. Columbia Presbyterian Church. We are but a drop. The small C church in what God is doing for all time in the big C global church. But I say to you, as a body, we have been lifted from sin and slavery to power and royalty. As the church, we do not ultimately answer to politicians or corporations or money or sex or popularity or the devil they may feel like they are the hunters and we the church are the hunted but that's the old pyramid of power that's the pre-Christ pyramid of power we stand today as the church in the recapitulated creation power pyramid with Christ above who has lifted the church and seated us with him in the heavenly places. In layman's terms, you are not the hunted church, you are the hunters. You are the church triumphant, the aggressors in this dynamic. You've been given, church, spiritual armor. You've been given spiritual spiritual Weapons. Your feet have been fitted with the gospel of peace and the readiness to share it. You have these tools and these weapons. You have this power pulsing through your ecclesiastical veins, which is the same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead. And as such, when we fan out into the ministries that God has called us to, our high schools, our college campuses, the medical school, our workplaces, our family breakfast tables, our neighborhoods. We have the very gates of hell barred, locked, guarded, but they will not prevail because the devil has been born on the wrong end of this power pyramid. Church, you are empowered. And this is not the sum of the gifts and the personalities and the resources that are in this room. It is all and only because of God's ironclad will that he will snap the universe to attention in worship. Whether that happens today in salvation or tomorrow in judgment so that in everything, Christ might be preeminent. Let's pray together. That you might be preeminent, and that you will be preeminent. Lord, open our eyes. Open the eyes of our hearts from a meek and a passive and an overwhelmed church to a church that has been given power and authority in heavenly places to pronounce the forgiveness of sins, to release the captive from their slavery to the course of this world, to announce the good news of the gospel of peace. Would you ready us and empower us to do this in Jesus' name? Amen.